0: Before we start the broadcast of the Waterfield Trinity Heritage podcast, I just wanted to make you all aware of the official sponsors for the 2023 series. Our agency are a full-service digital creative agency specialising in branding, web and content creation. They are delivering results in Wakefield for organisations such as Trinity Walk and the Wakefield Cathedral, and they offer upfront, no-nonsense marketing to help you achieve your goals. Drop them a line, follow them on all their social media accounts, or take a look at their website and make our agency your agency. If you're a local business in the Wakefield area and interested in sponsoring the podcast, drop Lee or Jamie a message on the Heritage social media accounts and we'll get back to you as quick as we can. Now, over to you, Cammy.
1: Hi, it's Cammy Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable!
0: Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you are listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to episode 118 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. Now this is the last podcast of the 2023 season but we wanted to go out with a bang and our guest today is a bloke who is thought of very highly for his time at Bellevue. But before we introduce him, it's always a pleasure to be joined by my dad, my co-host Lee
1: Robinson. How are we doing dad? Yes, and hello and welcome back to our Monday night podcast. The last of the season, as you say. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday. It's not a bad sunny morning in uh, in England. We're talking to a fellow at the morning, live from Townsville, and it's sort of 28, 29, 30 degrees over there at the moment. Uh, it was one of our most favourite uh, Australians. He scored 78 tries in 170 appearances in two spells between 2003 and 2011. He's 170 appearances. He's in fifth on our all-time overseas appearance list. There's only four better than him. And this week, we welcome the the popular Ben Jeffries. Ben, thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for the introduction. Uh, thoroughly uh, yeah, ready to go.
0: Good stuff, mate. Yeah, it was a bit of an introduction that we expecting. Did you forget that you'd done all that for us? <laughs> um, yeah, it seems, like, seems like a long time ago, to be honest. Um, I
2: think it was 2012 I decided to hang up the boots and move back home. And um, yeah, but... Ten years over there, I thoroughly enjoyed my time and um, got so many memories, uh, so many mates that we made over over time, and um, a lot of ups and downs. And um, obviously had my family over there too. So my two kids were born over there. So yeah, like I said, there's a lot of fond memories, and um, yeah, you'll never forget them.
0: Good stuff, mate. I know we can obviously people listening to this they can't actually see us. We're live on Zoom at the minute, and we can only see half your body. But you do you look you look still a fit and active bloke, mate. Do you still kind of get out and and do a bit of sport?
2: Yes, mate, I I pride myself on keeping fit. I'm obviously coaching at the moment and I I pride myself on being able to run around the field and get amongst the players. And uh, we have what we call the Castle Hill run uh, at the Cowboys and we do it annually um, throughout the pre-season and during the season. And um, I pride myself on being able to run that and uh, be the players. So they're still still trying to
0: chase me down. Good stuff, mm-hmm. mate. I love that. I love that. So, Benny, I know you've you've actually stacked up a couple of our podcasts for your for your latest holiday. So you'll you'll hear this question quite a bit. And I ask the first question to every guest that comes on. It's the same question every single week. I'm going to ask you yep. the same thing, mate. So, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words Wakefield Trinity? Uh
2: 2004.
0: Good um... answer. Good answer.
2: I'm not sure what the other boys have said, but 2004 was a yeah real turning point, I think, for a lot of our us as players, uh, our careers and the club in general, I think. So um, we were probably a bunch of misfits <laughs> in 2004, unknown names, and basically we binded together through uh, Shane McNally. Uh, unfortunately, he just passed away, but... Um, he was able to gather us together and bind us together and um, connect. And, um, yeah, 2004 will uh, forever be a very memorable year.
1: It was. It's a good point, is that. You were about a set of misfits and a bit of unknowns, because when when you all arrived at Trinity, we, we'd not many really heard of Jeffries, Corky, his whole penny, people like that. So, yeah, he, uh, McNally did tell you all, didn't he?
2: He did. And he, um, obviously, whoever did the recruiting, obviously did the homework and things like that. And, um, yeah, like I said, it was really good memories that year. And, um, yeah, that, that whole game, um, obviously playing the first semi-final of the club had ever been Super League and playing that whole game and beating Hull Hull was, um, yeah, something memorable.
1: Yeah, good stuff, mate. Let's re- rewind, if we may, mate. Uh, 4th of September, 1980, that's when you came along. Um, tell us about Foster. I've been mean, sort of looking at Foster, where you were where you were born, born bro- brought up. It looks a lovely place, yeah. mate. Tell us about that area of the world
2: yes i was born and bred in foster as you, as you mentioned so a um small little town uh, only about i suppose twenty thousand people and right on a coastline so if you look at the map of australia it's on the east coast uh, two hours north of newcastle um and it's yeah beautiful spot beaches everywhere um, surfing town but i could not surf to save myself <laughs> um not, not real fond on the sharks and up north in Qu- North Queensland's is all crocodile. So you don't see me too much in the, uh, in the ocean, but um, yeah, I just, I lived and breed football basically. Right. And I was very fortunate that I lived a hundred metres away from my football field. And I used to go down there and kick and kick and kick and um, yeah, apply myself, I suppose, to our craft, what we talk about in our coaching terms now and I'm trying to get, that across the players I'm coaching, um, you got to apply yourself uh, day in day out, uh, whether you're at training or not. So, um, but my my childhood was really good. I had two very supportive parents. Um, they they basically travelled me everywhere I needed to go, and two sisters come along for the ride as well. Two mm-hmm. younger sisters, and um, yeah, it was. Yeah, very very good childhood. I can't can't knock my childhood, and um, I've got very fond memories of that as well.
1: Were they footy people your parents? So is that what get, oh. you got you into rugby league?
2: Yeah, so by all accounts, I, my father actually was a good footballer by all accounts. Uh, and I'm not sure if you heard of the saying back of Burke. Well, that's where he's from, Burke, right. Burke and Brie Warren, which is 10, 10 hours west of Foster, uh, <laughs> red dirt red dirt country and. He he finished playing football at 25. So when when my mother and father had me, um, my dad put the boots away and couldn't afford to get injured. Um, so one thing he's done is sacrificed, and he's been a he's been along my journey all the way. So he's someone I ring once or twice a week and talk football every week. So. Um, got a very good relationship with my father, and um, I probably wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for my my father and, and my mother as well.
1: Excellent, are they still in Foster?
2: Yeah, yes, they are. So I literally nowhere to lie, Just booked uh, flights to go home and see mother, mum, and dad for for Christmas. Um, looking forward to that. That's something I really we really enjoy. So my wife Danielle, she's actually from Foster as well. All right. So, um her her parents have moved away now they've moved to newcastle but um makes it a hell of a lot lot easier when it's two hours ride basically down the road so instead of being all over the country
1: good stuff and then the the sort of limited knowledge i have of country rugby league i do know it's tough so if he played sort of country rugby league in the 70s by golly he must have been a tough (laughs) (laughs)
2: guy yeah i've heard some stories there's one little story where um he was about to kick a goal, and one one lady ran straight on the field and knocked him over the head with an umbrella. So um, <laughs> there was another one where he was running down the sideline. I reckon um, someone just stuck their foot out and tripped him over. So <laughs> I've got so many stories from my father back when back in the day. So yeah, it's really interesting hearing when they talk about him.
1: Yeah, good stuff. Where did you start, mate? was there a junior club in Foster that you played with?
2: Yeah, so Foster Hawks was um, my junior club, and. My senior club until I actually moved to Newcastle. Um, so Foster Hawks was yeah, got a lot of memories at um, that club. My dad was my first coach actually. So hmm. under sevens, eights, and nines, that my dad was my first coach. And I, to be honest, I can't really remember too much of it. Um, it's a bit of a blur now. But um, I actually, I actually played senior football as a sixteen-year-old. So I actually now. Think that was the best thing for me to move into the oh, so pathways with Newcastle. I actually played against men when I was 16 years of age. So wow. um it put me in really good stead um moving into that space and um yeah just flourished from there.
1: And were you always a halfback?
2: Always a halfback. Um obviously played a couple of other positions and that but I was always a halfback. Um <laughs> always always wanted the number seven on my back and um as you've seen throughout my career in in uh, England I wore the six and seven and other numbers as well but um, yeah loved playing at seven
1: yeah good stuff mate. and did you follow the game on telly did you follow any um, NRL clubs in Sydney
2: oh mate absolutely I lived and breathed football so I remember back in the day we didn't have like Foxtel and um, KO and Sky Sports back in the day it was like on ABC one game a week basically Sunday. so I'd sit there relig- religiously Watch it and then go try and emulate it in the backyard. So, um, but Parramatta was my team. So mm-hmm. Peter Sterling, Peter Sterling and Parramatta were my my um, childhood teams and heroes. Um, my my grandmother actually brainwashed me because my mother, my my dad's a massive Manly fan, and <laughs> there were obviously rivalries during the eighties. But um, yeah, you would you won't see me barracking for um, Manly.
0: Wow, surprising that to say where you grew up. And obviously in the 90s, Newcastle were, were the team, really, weren't they? Obviously with the Johns brothers in chief and everything. So did you never end up going to watch Newcastle at, at their ground?
2: At times I did. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously my first love was um, Parramatta. Um, nice didn't come in until later in 1988. Um, but um, Newcastle does have a close part of my heart, to be honest. I, that's where I first started my career. As playing, so I went through the Jersey Flag pathway there uh, for two years before I went professional at St. George. Um, and obviously, it's the closest team to home, basically. So, no, I do have a special spot in my ha- heart for Newcastle, but uh, Parramatta was my first love.
0: Oh, good. Have you ever met Sturlock? Have you ever met your idol?
2: No, uh, no, I haven't. No, I don't. No, I don't. I remember what happened was it must have been an initiative from the NRL, which was New South Wales Rugby League back in the day. They, my mum must have ordered a, like a personalised card and it was stuck on my wall for so long. Like, um, as you know, you have pictures of your idols on your on your walls and um, all I ever want to do since I was a kid was play football and I was very thankful that I, I did it for 13 years. And then obviously I get to coach it now, which, is, um, which I'm extremely grateful for. As well,
0: good stuff. When I when I graduated university, I was twenty four, and I went to Australia for seven months and just travelled and worked a little bit. And uh, there was one day I was walking through the CBD in Sydney after a day at work. Just a real hot sunny day. I was in my own world, had a cap on, and I just pressed the button to cross the road and kind of waited and stuff. And I looked to my right, and there was Peter Sterling, and I could not (laughs) believe it. Peter Sterling was just stood crossing the road in the CBD. And I, caught, and I I was a bit starstruck. Obviously, it wasn't my error, but I, I still know yeah. how much of a legend he is. And I just briefly called him, explained who I was, where I was from. And he couldn't believe it. And he stopped and, and had a good two, three-minute chat with me. And he went on his way. And, he, and I, remember, I messaged his dad at the time and said, I've just met Peter Sterling. I can't believe it. Um, and his day, de- I believe his debut for Hull was against Trinity. Is that right, Dad?
1: Yeah. yeah so yeah.
0: He, knew, he knew Wakefield to an extent. So, yeah, yeah just, just a top bloke. And I can totally understand why people idolize him.
2: Yeah, look, he's been in commentary for a long time and um, over here, and he's been. There've been rumors for him to go coach, but I think, I think he got the best job in the world, mate. Just he gets paid to give his opinion about how people play. So
0: yeah, definitely. So, so how did you initially first get scouted? Then what what was the system around where you used to play for the Hawks and things?
2: Um, so, um, what happened was this: they used to, have, they still do it actually. Some clubs still have open trials, oh. so. Um, I remember going trialling the year before and missed out, and then went trial the year after, which was '97, and then I received a letter saying I've been part of the squad for the summer summer training squad, which was back in the day. I think there might have been 35 to 40 players they bring in, and then had to narrow it down to 25 for the season. So. um So I was successful in that, went after the summer training. I think it was like eight weeks, um, got absolutely blogged. Um, But that was obviously the initiation that the weed weed players out, I suppose, who wanted it, who didn't want it. Um, And yeah, obviously it just flourished from there. very thankful to the coach that I had initially. So the first two years, I had a coach that really believed in me and took me under his wing and tried to teach me everything. And I'm um, very, very grateful for what he did for me uh, initially.
0: And were there any other players in that group that went on to, to prosper like you did?
2: Yeah, look, well, I was very... The second year was quite a special group. So players like Josh Perry, Adam Wolno, Clint Newton, Tamana Tahu. Um, yeah, it was... a there was a heap of us. So that era, it was quite a good era too. So 98, 99, 2000, there was a heap of players that come through that Jersey Fleet pathway, whether it was Newcastle or other, that have gone on to play a long time in football. And there's a heap of us now still in football, to be honest.
0: And at that young age, obviously, you're still quite impressionable. Were you the type of player when you played with better players, you became a better player yourself?
2: Absolutely. So when you get to the elite level, it's like people know their jobs and their reaction times are so much quicker. So um, you either follow suit, or you unfortunately you go out the back door, and that's what elite uh, football is or elite sport. That's how it works. Um, and obviously, I see it daily now and try to get young players to understand you only get so many chances, and you got to apply yourself day in day out to um, succeed. But um. Yeah, it was um quite quite um challenging, but um there's something wide in people sometimes that you love being challenged, and I still love being challenged. So,
0: and the evidence is there, mate, because not too long after you got picked for the Australian schoolboys.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, I went away uh, with New South Wales uh, combined high school um team. We won that the Australian championships, and I actually was play of the Cardinals. So wow. um yeah. Um and then obviously um uh, played Australian schoolboys. Um that was a big group of players too. So Brett Finch, uh Mark Riddell, uh Michael yeah, Corquitas. Uh, yeah, the legend of um Wakey. um <laughs> uh Mark Yasner, Luke Burt, like all these players, like, like I can mention that I was very fortunate to play with a group of players at Newcastle, but then play in some web teams that had Players littered through NRL careers, basically.
0: I can't remember what the stat was, but I heard recently that the, the like every, every obviously every year there's an Australian schoolboy squad, and it's something like ninety to ninety five percent of them play at least one or two NRL games. It's that the pathways, the elite pathways in Australia, is just phenomenal, really, in terms of that progression. Yeah, there's a
2: huge percentage of of players that play Australian schoolboys end up going and play NRL. Um It is a huge um, it's a pivotal part of someone's development I suppose players development um, it's not the be all end all to be honest like um, once you reach school boys at, at that pinnacle level it doesn't automatically allow you to be an NRL player you have to it could take you so by the year I played no, uh, school boys was 98 I didn't make my debut till two thousand. One, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So it took me, it takes you years to get to that schoolboys' school. Now, school, and I'm, talk, I'm talking about schoolgirls now because I coach women as well now. So it takes them years to get from schoolgirls or schoolboys to be an NRW or NRL NR player now.
0: I think that's you hit the nail on the head there. Not everybody's going to be a, a Greg Inglis, either you who comes straight through and is going to be the best player in the world quite quickly. It takes time for these, especially forwards, sometimes it takes a lot of time to kind of get used to that level.
2: Absolutely. So forwards generally mature a lot uh, later, around the 25 mark, um, whereas halves normally get go in quicker, um, outside backs as well. So I think, I don't know the, the statistic, but I think Mark Gasnier, out of that schoolboy's um, team, he, he got projected in quite early at St George um, and then made his mark, obviously, all around the world.
0: And when when you look at these days, like the younger halves, say Brody Croft, for example, Jake Clifford, Jackson Hastings have all ended up coming over here, similar to what you did, really, for a short period of time. And then obviously okay. Clifford's going back soon to you boys at the Cowboys, Hastings come back. There's rumors of of Croft doing doing bits as well. Do you think that's a good option for these young halves to come over here, or do you prefer them to stick in the NRL system?
2: Um, it's dependent on the player. Um Honestly, there is there's no right or wrong. It's but I do see um, the positives of going over to England. So one thing I I didn't think I'd go to England as early as I did, but always wanted to go to England. Just fell in love with you know the English game, Wembley and things like that, and watching um, Kangaroo Tours just absolutely loved it. But um, I think young halves if they go across there, you have to mature quite quicker. Um, and you, you've got to get out of your comfort zone and In Australia, you're in the pressure cooker every week, like big time. And I know you are in Super League as well, 100%. You're accountable to your uh, position and your performance. Um, But I think over there, you're out of the limelight a little bit. If you just go into England and apply your craft and just go about your business, I think that the fans take to you. um, And... Obviously you you, know, you learn how to control games and how to control teams and you just mature as a as a player. So there's no right or wrong, but if I was to see young halves go across and do their trade and then come back, absolutely I could see it succeeding, mate, to be honest. So probably someone like Block and Lamb who's mm. who started his NRL career and struggled to really crack it, and he's gone across there and um, made his mark over there, and I'd say if he comes back, he, he might be so much better player for it.
0: Just when a Lance Todd as well in the Challenge Cup final as well, so he's doing fantastic.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's horses for courses, and doesn't have to suit everyone. But absolutely, I can see the benefit of it. And don't get me wrong, I've, I've actually had conversations with um, our recruitment manager at the Cowboys around this sort of thing. Is it worth sending young halves across and then bringing them back and things like that?
0: You got, you anyone, know, for, you you got anyone for Wakefield.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's always play there, mate. It's it's where they want to get out of their comfort zone and want to experience life and things like that. So um unfortunately, yeah, Wakefield uh made the drop. Um uh, but yeah. I feel for me from me mate uh, Mash, Mark Applegarth, he's had a um tough introduction to Super League coaching, but um he'll he'll be, he'll bounce back.
1: Yeah, he'll come back, he's a friend of ours, he's a colleague of ours, His MASH, so uh, we, we, he, he was sort of given a, a tough job this year, you know, and nobody with the sort of squad he had and the money he had thrown straight in in his rookie season, it was a tough gig to begin with.
2: Yeah, i was messaging him throughout the year to see how he's going and things like, it's really important you have someone to lean on or play, people to lean on, um, don't get me wrong, I had a tough season too with my, the team where I was coaching, um, just a real young squad and by the back end of the season, we had multiple injuries uh, to our senior players when you had very little of senior players. You, you know, the younger players um just aren't quite ready week in, week out for it.
1: Mm. You mentioned earlier about the pressure cooker of halfbacks and things. We were fortunate to have Tim Smith on here a few weeks ago and he told us that exact tale. You know, his first rookie season, he was a world beater, second and third yeah. season. By golly, he struggled.
2: Yeah, yeah. So
1: it's yeah.
2: What happens is um you burst on the scene and you know, no one really knows you, and then they people start doing their homework on you. And like as you can, as you know now, they do that much homework on you. They watch that much video, and um, they target you because if you're a good player or influential player, you got to try and nullify them. And um, yeah, I remember, do remember Tim Smith bursting on the scene. But the thing is, sometimes when you're young, I think you think you got to go outside the box all the time. It's it's seriously, it's about being consistent.
1: Mm-hmm back to the next nice, mate did you win a grand final at jersey flag when you started
2: no so m- made the grand final in 1999 and lost to the canterbury bulldogs that's mm-hmm. it yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: yeah so it was very ironic my uh, pathways manager so uh, my role with the last few years last four years at the cowboys has been to look after um, players anything below nrl that's my been my job so and to project them into the NRL squad. My pathways manager, uh, who I work with, uh, a really good mentor of mine is um, Glenn Hall, and he was, we play, we matched up against each other. So, going back to that, um, what I was saying before, we had a really good crop of players come through 98, 99, 2000. Like he was part of that crop that played for Canterbury and then still in the game, working the game.
1: Fantastic, man. So, what happened at the uh, next, mate? Why did you move to the Dragons? What was that all about?
2: Um, yeah, so I had the option to stay at Newcastle and, um, oh, like, in hindsight, I possibly sh- should have, but um, the, the Knights uh, had Andrew Johns and Matthew Johns. <laughs> yeah. And they said that Matthew Johns was moving on and I actually didn't believe him. Um And I thought my best route to playing NRW, NRL was um, with Dragons. So... Dragons had just become St. George Alawarra. um the second year into it. And, um, yeah, they had Trent Barrett, uh, Anthony Mundine, and I, they had no one perceived behind that. So I thought that was my best route. Um, Mundine went to boxing, and then um, I just wasn't ready.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Simple as that. I, I didn't grasp my opportunity at St. George um, early enough. I was a kid that went from a country town, went to Sydney, fish out of water. Just didn't grasp everything that was going around me, and not not like going out in nightlife and things like that. I just not didn't grasp um, living away from home, um, being a professional, um, all that sort of thing. And I look back now, and it wasn't until two thousand four that where I really thought one I belonged in first grade, two I found my routine and. Um. Yeah, that's that's that was the year that was my breakout year, I, I believe. Mm.
1: Yeah, well, that was my next question, really. What was how did a country boy settle into Sydney life? You know, did you live on your own? Did you live with teammates, families?
2: So originally, I went down with a mate. Um, lived with a mate, and he was going to uni. Um, obviously, I was playing football, and then uh, my wife now was who, who, um boyfriend and girlfriend at the time, and and it wasn't until she moved. With me, um, that I settled in Sydney, and then once I settled in Sydney, I decided to come to England. So <laughs> the rest was history, so yeah. It, and I see it now with young females and going through with young males too that when they move away from home and that you have a bit of homesickness, and that, that once they break the homesickness barrier, they're, they're fine. Um, it's just how long it takes to break that barrier, and it took me a, a while. and. Can see a couple of boys that I've coached the last couple of years see me in, in them. They had to try and break that barrier. So um, I'm really empathetic towards players when they go through that because I went through it. Um, I was a quite country boy, to be honest. Um, um, but yeah, and you've got to learn to get out of your comfort zone to to grow, basically.
1: Good stuff, mate. And do you remember, what do you remember of your debut? 2001 at the Warriors.
2: Yeah, it was, um, I remember, um, I think it was Clinton Thorpe and um, Motu Tony's um, debut, debut games as well. And they, oh, wow. They, I think they might have scored a couple. Mot, Motu might have scored a couple. Um, yeah, they did, yeah. yeah. All, I remember, all I remember, obviously we lost and I wasn't ready. I was 19th man and then basically got got told day of the game I'm playing. So oh, I was mm-hmm. just thrown in the deep end. Yeah. Um, I didn't prepare myself mentally either. So that's that was a lesson for me as a young young player. Um, all I remember is Logan Swan running at me all day. So, <laughs> and, then, and then I had Mary McGregor next to me, uh, obviously played for Australia um New South Wales. And very ironic, he's just about to move to North Point then and then be an assistant. So it's very ironic. But...
1: Yeah, you replaced Trent Barrett, I believe. I think he
2: pulled out on the day of the game. Yeah, I had a calf injury. He did. Um, I remember that. And like I said, I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. It just it just happened so quickly. Um, it took me took me years to grasp the professionalism, um, all that sort of thing. How to train, how to be good good habits on and off the field, basically.
1: So why the move to the Tigers? Because that's the same season. We're still in two thousand and one, and it was seemed like a mid season move.
2: Yeah, yeah. So what happened was um, I just did not settle St. George, just did not suit, suit me um, for whatever reason. And I look I look back now and it was um, – I had a coach that really pumped me full of negatives. Um, mm-hmm. And I know what he was trying to do now. He was trying to make, make me a better player. So that, that At that point, I needed that coach to basically give me a cuddle, basically, because I, I was a fish out of water. So – this is the art of coaching as well, understanding your players, when to give them a kick up the ass, when to um, you got to give them a cuddle. So um, for whatever reason, it didn't didn't work out at St George. I went to Tigers and it sort of um, worked initially, and then um, I, I had an option to stay at Tigers. Um, two thousand three, Tim Sheens was a new coach coming in in two thousand three, and he he offered me a one year deal, and. Um, but he, when I walked out of that meeting just to whether to go to England, come to England or stay at the Tigers, he he gave me so much clarity. So I was quite thankful for him that he gave me that clarity. He didn't tell me any bullshit line. Mm-hmm. He basically told me how it was. And um, I walked straight out of that meeting and rang my parents, no word of a lie, and said, oh, it's it's time to pack up and go to England. So oh,
1: Just without sort of focusing on the negatives, do
2: you remember your Tigers debut? Um, oh, I got Absolutely butchered in, in Melbourne. Absolutely butchered. Um, they <laughs> yeah, said so my two two NRL debuts weren't fun. To be honest, I remember them, but um, I tried to forget them. But um, yeah, they absolutely gave it to us, Melbourne. Yeah, um, yeah. we won't we yeah. won't
1: dwell on it. But it was sixty four nil, and they scored ten, yeah. 10 eleven tries. <laughs>
2: yeah, Yep. Yeah. um, yeah. Both both games, I just remember just getting butchered. So, um, but yeah. But that's that's history now, and you learn from it, and um you can't you can't change it either. So
0: and, and just before we move on to Trinity, Ben, you know, looking at the team sheet here, I didn't realise Terry Lamb was the coach at the Tigers at the time. Obviously a legendary figure, played a, a a chock full of games. Did you learn much from him? What what type of coach was he?
2: Yeah, he wasn't um too structured. So so going from Newcastle where they weren't too structured, um I was allowed to play football. Um, when I got to St. George, very structured. So that's probably part of my reasoning why I probably didn't grasp everything so quickly at St. George. And then going to, back to the, going to the Tigers, they weren't as st- structured as St. George. So I started to find my feet a bit more there. And then what I did learn from uh, Terry Lamb was um, support play. So yeah. one thing I prided myself on was my support play in the end of my career. Um, and basically, you just... He taught me how to read a game or you just – so I suppose when I went to Trinity, Sol was my, one of my left-hand partners, basically. Mm-hmm. And I just knew when I passed him the ball, I followed up the field, basically, and that's one thing he did teach me. Um, as soon as I passed, follow the ball. So, And that's one thing I did pride myself on um, throughout my career, and especially in England.
0: And like you say, you came out of that meeting and you knew automatically you were going to go to England. Where where did you get this idea from? do you already had a few offers?
2: No, there was already an opera sitting on the table, basically. Um, I was very fortunate. I had three years sitting on the table from Wakefield and um, I literally just had the meeting with Tim Sheens and he, like I said, I walked straight out with clarity. So I'm, I'm... very much grateful for her. I can't even remember the, the whole conversation, but I just remember walking out and saying to my mother and father, it's it's, yep, it's time to go.
0: And Any idea how Thanks. Trinity picked you up or spotted you, or how did you get the link with Wakefield?
2: Uh, Mick Robinson. So uh, he was a bit of a scout for England. Um, he basically said, mate, if you want to go to England, uh, I can, uh, there's a few clubs um, offering. And so Wakefield was the one on the table. Um the best offer at the time, and um, yeah, the rest was history. So, like I said, I always wanted to go play in England, always wanted to play in England, but I didn't think I'd go at 22, but um, obviously I did, and obviously fell in love with um, England and um, just loved playing football. Like, to be a professional, it's a privilege. Like, I was living my dream.
0: I mean, we were still the Wildcats at the time. Obviously, that period of time, we were Wakefield, Trinity Wildcats. Had, had you seen much of Trinity? Obviously, Wally Lewis and, and Mark Graham and, and Ray Price had played for Trinity in the 80s. Had you heard of Wakefield much?
2: Not too much of Wakefield. Obviously, once I started, um, once I got. So, one thing I do do is if I had offers or I'd start, you know, I'll Google or start doing my homework on what I'd like to. I suppose make educated decisions, and that's how I am now with players. Like we try and put things on the table for them and, and make educated decisions. What's best for their for their careers, not just me. Um, um, but yeah, the, I remember watching the Kangaroo Tour. I, I revert back to the Kangaroo Tour where i was seeing Wakefield play um, Australia and
1: know. What a night that was.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's um, yeah, and I know there's a few legends that play for the Wakey, so um, yeah part of the rich history they've got
0: and did you settle in straight away to the city and the surroundings
2: yeah like I was pretty pretty I was welcomed straight away with open arms and things like that and so I think I initially settled in pretty smoothly and then um, as you do you go through some downs uh, through form and things like that and I'm must admit I hit, I can't remember when it was, but I did hit a down time in the first year. And that's just part and parcel of playing professional fo- football or professional sport. Um, and this is the things you got to learn when you're younger. Um, and it's part and parcel of it. Uh, it's how you pick yourself up, <laughs> basically, how quick you do it.
0: And your debut was a big one, mate. It was against the local rivals, Castleford, in the Challenge Cup first game of the season. We managed to pick up a win in 2018. Um, on the 8th of February 2003. Now, Benny, on this podcast, we always quiz people on the first Trinity 17 that they played in. So, we are going to throw this over to you. You were playing number six that day. So, let's see yeah. the best you can do. One to 17. Do you know the rest of the players in that squad? Um, number one was Martin. Yeah, Martin Holland. Yeah. Good Well, Yeah. yeah. Great first Two. Game. Um, you can just shout names if you want. You'd have to go through. Yeah, it. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just trying to think. Um, So Brad Davis would have been there. Yeah, he was seven with you in the halves. Yeah, Marchy. Uh Marchy was nine. Yeah, David March. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Stuart DeBoer. Yeah, he was. He came off the bench. Actually, he was number 15. Came off the bench. Scored a try. Yeah, Wrenchy. Wrenchy came off the bench. Yeah, loved a bit of David Wrench, local legend. Dallas. Da- Dallas Hood. Dallas Hood was in the in the back row. Yeah, back row. Dallas Hood.
2: Doing well, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if he was there or injured.
0: Slats. Troy Slattery. Slattery? Um Troy Slattery was on the bench, yeah. Sovert yes. hey, right Slattery and Renchik. These are some yeah. great guesses already. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm going for them. Um was CS he there too? Uh yes, he he was in the center. Yeah, another one, yeah. yeah Matt Sears. Yeah. C- yeah. Uh uh Ray. Um he wasn't Matthew. I think he was in the squad, but he didn't play that day, Matty. No, right.
2: Away. He actually lives up in North Queensland too.
0: So oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Hey. Man, hey. yeah, yeah. He's been in here for a while. Um, who else? Oh, Fieldy. Um Fieldie didn't play field. either. No, he didn't play. No. Oh. He was Gaz. in the squad, but not around that day. Gaz? Gaz Ellis was in the centre with Sears. He got a try that day. You you got a try. Gazelli's got a try and Sovatabur got a try, yeah. Corky would have been playing, surely. Corky was in the front row with Marchie, yeah. yeah.
2: I do actually remember the try. It was straight off the scrum, I'm pretty sure. Oh, great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're missing yeah.
0: both wingers, another prop, another back rower, and loose forward lock.
1: Uh, and Someone off the bench. Yeah, yeah.
2: You might have stopped me here now. Got-
1: well, the, well, the lock was a bit of a Cowboys legend in the early days and a Cass legend. Uh,
2: Oh Bowsy! Yeah, Adrian Bows. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well. had him on the
0: podcast.
2: Yeah, yeah, Bowsy. Yeah, Bowsie. yeah. He's um Yeah, he's um he's been coaching down in Brisbane actually with the females. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, a, a,
0: one of the other wingers ended up playing fullback most of the time in, in kind of like 04 season.
1: Austra- Australian. Australia. Oh Cole. Cole Alpenny, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The accountant.
2: Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it's a funny story. Um, Cal, um, I remember playing against him in uh Jersey Fleet. So I was at Knights and he was at Parramatta. And sometimes you can't judge a book by its cover, and I, I basically, I reckon this bloke couldn't. It okay. <laughs> didn't look like a footballer. And I'll tell you, output every kicker I put up, he caught. And nowhere to lie, he was the safest player I've ever played with. Really, you could always, you could always bank on him being supporting or catching a ball on the floor, like, so consistent.
0: Great player. He's very well well fondly remembered at, at Trinity as well, obviously. He never had a bad oh, game. Never had a bad nah, game.
2: Nah. Great bloke. Um,
0: mm-hmm. On the other wing yeah. that day was a... I don't know if you get English or much, but he's a big Sky Sports pundit now. Big junior oh, junior well, John Wells, Wellsy. Yeah. Yeah, John yeah, Wells. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the back yeah. line that day was Martin Holland, John Wells, Gaz Ellis, Matt Sears, Colin Halperny, yourself and Brad Davis. Um, yep. you've you've got another prop to get I think he was a big
1: Aussie I don't know if he Dad I think know. he was state of origin he came from the Tigers oh. and he played state of origin oh um, everyone's shouting
0: home now I, the, on the podcast they, they know yeah, yeah they're probably into me now I'm just <laughs> trying to think
2: I don't think he only, did he only play one year and he went home yeah
1: yeah
0: I think so yeah yeah I'm
2: just trying to think. come from Newcastle yeah. in Newcastle.
1: he's got an yeah, Irish last
0: yeah. name
2: my name my, na- uh, my name's stumped me
0: Big Clinton uh, O'Brien.
2: That's him. That's
0: yeah, him. Yeah, he was a good player, Clinton O'Brien. So yeah, Clinton yeah, O'Brien, yeah. David March, Corky, Dallas Hood, and then um, I think he's big English, big English back rower. Dad, am I right in saying? Yeah,
1: I think he could come from Lancashire. way, goal kicker. Uh, oh,
0: yeah, kicked four goals that day. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he injured, came from. Had
1: to through injury. Yeah, I'm just trying to. No, not
2: Wood. Um... <sighs> Nah, you got me on the on the name, but I know who you're talking about. He just had the long, longest year. That's yeah. it. Had the
0: longest year. Yeah, yeah. And then Adrian yep. Bowles, and then off the bench, Shovetaboo, Charlie Slattery, David Wrench. and uh, local legend Paul Humphreth. Paul Humphreth came off the bench. Oh, Tiger, Tiger, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Good team, yeah. yeah. So, and then we obviously we beat Cass. They had a couple of big. Danny R played. Um, Andy Andy Lynch played. Ryan Hudson, Jamie Thackeray, so Darren Rogers, so a couple of local legends there. So big game. Do you remember the debut Challenge Cup? against the local legends that game yeah do you remember it yeah do you
2: remember yeah it? no I do yeah yeah, yeah. I finally like I remember scoring off the, off the scrum I remember that day yeah, yeah.
0: good stuff and it's, it's difficult as well because the season was a little bit different back then because obviously it started with the challenge cup now it's a bit more mid-season so you were straight yeah. in you know knockout competition like you say you knew a bit about Wembley were you did you ever have a, an excitement thinking we, we could get there
2: Oh, absolutely. You dream of playing Wembley. Some likes play, go across there and play straight in one, but uh, obviously I never got there, but um, never stopped trying to get there. But um, yeah, I think the year that Wakefield probably got the closest in my era when I was over there was the year I actually wasn't there. I think I, I'd gone to Bradford. Uh, I think it might have been in 2009, maybe? Yeah, I think it 2008, was. Yeah. 2008, yeah. Yeah, they played a hole at um, someone's ground. I can't,
1: Doncaster, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't speak of that. <laughs> <laughs> and that 2003 season, mate. We we obviously started. We start with that cast win, which was brilliant. But then we sort of the wheels fell off. We only won one game out of the next next eleven. Do you sort of remember remember much about that season? Because we were sort of very hit and miss, and only ended up avoiding relegation by um, a win a win or two in the last game.
2: Actually, you've, yeah, I wasn't aware that we lost about eleven straight. But um, I yeah, that's probably where I alluded to that. Right? Obviously, you go ups and downs, and I knew I had a, a bit of a patch there at one point. So, um, and it's like when you're young, you don't sometimes you you don't know how to get out of it. Um, when you're older, you just got to be consistent in everything you do. So it's um, yeah, it's, it was, that was a, probably a learning period, which you got to year go through the hard times to see some good times. And obviously that probably transferred into the year after.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's that season, just looking at the results, it was very much like this season, Um, but we were in 11th all the way through. There was another team, I think the Halifax below us. Um, yeah. We were, we were sort of threatened relegation until the last three weeks. And the last three weeks we beat Hull 35-28 and beat Halifax 68-6. Um, so that sort of saved us a little bit. You've scored 10 tries along the way. Um, from that first game we played, uh, we had a Jamie Rooney. Do you remember Runes?
2: Yeah, yeah, Roons. Yeah, yeah. He came on the scene. He was a young half coming through, and obviously very similar age to me at that point in time. And then, um, yeah, he burst on the scene, and then um, I think he got injured. He had a bad injury the year after, so he was nearly out for the whole season. And oh, yeah. um, yeah.
1: And the following season, mate, you met you was only without being disrespectful, Charlie Charlie Links. Do you remember scoring five tries in a Challenge Cup game? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um,
2: yeah, you know, obviously this is part and parcel of the um, Challenge Cup where you get drawn, you know, Division Two, Division One teams and things like that. Yeah. And I remember rocking up to that game, and the, the surface was green, and then by the time we came out, it was there was snow. <laughs> So yeah, it was my first introduction to playing in snow. Um, but I do, I do remember it. Yeah, it was yeah five tries. I'll never forget that one. <laughs> Games you never forget.
1: So I think it's still a record over the last. The, the, the record, to record, is seven. But that's the record over the last fifty years. I think nobody, nobody's touched you. Yeah. yeah. And he wasn't uh, a bad. We, we, you've sort of touched on it. This was two thousand and four. Not a yeah. bad Two thousand and four was it?
2: No, it was, like I said, it was a breakout season for the club, for a lot of individuals that were at the club, um, obviously uh, making the semi-finals for the first time. And um, that's where we played a really good brand of football, I thought, that year. Um, And that was – the credits were probably Shane, but um, Tony Smith came in and was the assistant, and he did a lot of work for me, to be honest, um, which I – truly grateful for um, going, going going back to that um, yeah and that's when um, obviously we used to call the left side and the right side so we used to have I suppose myself, Sol Sid and Semi that was a you know pretty dynamic left hand side and then you had um, Ruins got injured remember that so it used to be Gaz um, Jamie Field JD and um can't Remember who the other wing was at that point. Oh, the night rider.
0: So yeah. <laughs> so
2: and then we were all pretty consistent with our um training/slash injuries. So we we're very durable. So none of us really got injured that year, which was probably a credit to Jeff Evans, who came in as a SNC, did a lot of work with us off the field and on the field and around nutrition and things like that, which the, the, the club actually went. Um, I suppose from 2003 to 2004 up here in all facets, like professionalism and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah.
0: We had we had big Duncan McGilvery on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and he was joking, saying his side was always the grafting, hard-working side, and you've got all the flashy headlines and everything, mate. So I'm, uh, I'm just saying yeah. what he's told us, that's all.
2: <laughs> no, I'm, um, I'm not delusional around that. If I played well, then the forwards normally played well, mate, so I'm not delusional around that. Um Dunk. Actually, I'll see Dunk a fair bit. I'll probably see Dunk more than anyone um, out of that group of players. From He's a Northern Territory's, um pathways manager. Mm-hmm. And then he, he's, he brings a lot of teams to national championships where I'm at um, watching other players and things like that. And then um, he comes to Tampa a fair bit and brings teams to, to play as well. So, yeah, I, I do get to see Dunk a fair bit. And we obviously reminisce and things like that, but... Yeah, he was a grafter, he was a, he was a he came. I think he came after the French season for two thousand four. He was a really good in addition to us. He just he just didn't shy away from hard work, Dan.
0: Good stuff, man. And like you said, you've touched on it already, but the Shane McNally was was the guy who led us that year. Unfortunately, lost his life not too long ago, a couple of months ago, and he was unfortunate in a, in a bit of a selfish way for us because we had him lined up to come onto the podcast. It would have been great to chat to him. But tell us about Shane the bloke and, and Shane the coach, because he, he, he bred a lot of guys from that era, you know, yourself, JD, Mash, um, a lot of guys who, who went on to coaching as well.
2: Yeah, it's, um, obviously, he's, he's touched the fair few of us, to be honest. He's, had a, he's left a real mark on us, and I think he just made things personal at times. Um, and that's what the good coaches do, I think. They treat him... You treat players as individuals, first and foremost. And obviously, when you're addressing a team, you've got to address them as a team. But um, if you can have a, a good, strong relationship with players on and off the field, it, it uh, certainly contributes to how they perform. Um, obviously, we're a young group of players, and we just need someone to nurture us as well. So he had that nurturing style. Um, very passionate, like wore his heart on his lead. um, Shane, um, you knew where he stood with him. and um, But, yeah, just... He had time of day for us all. Um, it didn't matter if it was about football or life in general. So um, that's one thing you, you, we remember about him. So, um, yeah, he, obviously, he's touched us all, to be honest. So, um, yeah.
0: Obviously, being being a fan of Trinity, especially in the past kind of 25, 30 years, we know we're not going to be a team like St. Ellen's is going to win everything and get to big finals. So this season always stands out for us because we were so close to kind of getting to a grand final. Did you guys know, you know, at the start of the season that we had, we had something special brewing with, here with this collective of players? Um, probably not at the start
2: until you, until you start playing and get through and go, oh, we've got something here. Um, if I <laughs> go up the first day of pre-season, I remember we were at um, uh, Thorns Park. We had to run up hill and oh, yeah. um, Semi Jalala comes in off the, <laughs> off the plane and goes, oh, where's my boots? so yeah no boots so mate, yeah it's, it's your responsibility to bring your own boots you know so um but yeah as as the season got on like we knew we had something special like we just had a group of players that wanted to play for each other um you, talk, you hear about coaches and and teammates talk about being connected we were one truly connected group that year um and then um we just binded together and Rolled our sleeves up and uh, obviously added a few personnel behind the scenes like Tony Smith and Jeff Evans, which contributed massively um, when I look back at it now. and um, Yeah, we're just allowed to play a brand of football, um, which was exciting, to be honest.
0: And kind of looking into the back end of the year, we were kind of in the playoff spots around most of the season, but the back end was really strong for us. We won six of our last seven games. We beat Cass twice which was big. We we lost to Hull um, in round 23. But I don't know if you remember much about that last kind of coming into the playoffs. We beat Cass, lost to Hull, but then we beat Salford, London, Widness, Huddersfield and Cass again to secure that sixth spot. Uh, great momentum going into a playoff series.
2: Yeah, I actually I, until you alluded to six out of seven like I wouldn't have known. But um, obviously, we were very consistent that year. I can remember just going back-to-back-to-back to back to back games. Um. Um, especially at home i think we won a, a, like a like a really good amount of home games that year so yeah. we really made it a fortress um i remember playing that year there was a heap of games where it was really hot and we just in the end we were really fit that year too we blew teams away in the in the last parts of games so um yeah and then going going into the back end of the season it's, it's critical you have momentum like it's, it's all about momentum. And once you get the semifinals, there's a new um, mini-series, but it's, it's critical you have momentum.
0: I was just looking at that now you say that. We lost our first four home games, but then won our last eight. So we won eight home games in a row. So again, it's that fortress yeah. mentality. And then obviously our playoff games were away. So we, we played Hull away and, and, and won, and then obviously played Wigan away and just lost narrowly. But... Um, I've asked everyone who's come on here, mate. Obviously, we've we've had probably the majority of this squad now. We've had Corky, Gaz, JD, Soller. Um, We've had, a you know, a lot of these players. We've got to talk about that night in Hull. It's on YouTube. The full game is on YouTube. So, I'm sure a lot of us from that generation have re-watched it. What do you remember well, about that night? Because we weren't, again, we weren't favourites. We were going away to Hull, who had a, a big team at the time and came out 28-18 winners.
2: Um. Yeah, obviously special night for the club and for the players um, and the fans. To, to be honest, um, yeah, that week. So I remember that week. Um, I was in like considerable doubt to play that game. Sammy um, okay. and I were in considerable doubt. So probably no one know, knows this, but both Sammy and I pretty much did a, um, a fitness test the morning of. <laughs> so I had an ankle injury, which. Um, I literally had in a bucket of ice for the whole week in and out in and out to recover and to get myself ready um and then Sammy had a um, hamstring injury so he he got through it we both passed fit so I suppose that was a big tick for the for the team going into that and then um yeah I remember the week after my my ankle was worse to be honest so um yeah but, yeah, that night, I just Corky's run stands out a fair bit. Like we burst through um, I think it was off the kickoff, maybe. Um, yeah, first but,
0: first run in the second half, it was, yeah, yeah.
2: so it, when you have runs like that, that sets a tone for for a game and for through a half and things like that. So, um no, nah, we just, like I said, um that was a true reflection of who we were and what we were about that season, to be honest. and obviously we we fell short, but. Uh, a club that's never ever—we've pretty much been on the bottom and then came through to the top nearly. Um, yeah, it
0: was—it was very special. And you didn't help us, mate, because you got Simbin that game as well.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I, don't, I remember. Did I, did I run back on? Did I run
0: back on side and the bloke passed into me or something? Something or death, it? Yeah, yeah. I think you yeah. were, cause you and Gaz were our half, so I think you both got Simbin at separate times. Yeah, yeah. So
2: obviously we had some adversity yeah. but obviously. <laughs> At times when you you know when you're you're switched on and everyone's ready to play, you can overcome obstacles like that. So yeah, it was probably a sign that we were ready to play that night. But I just remember at the back end of the game too, this the fans at one end like honestly, yeah, they jumping for joy and things like that. And um, obviously, we'd made history that that night in Definitely. the club.
0: And and did you have the confidence going into the Wigan game? Because again, we were we were so close coming into that sixteen thousand at Wigan, and we lost by a try, um, yeah. so close again.
2: Um, absolutely. You were just riding the we we're just riding the momentum. So going into Hull, we're probably um, no one gave us a shot. We we obviously go we we believed in ourselves, and then going to Wigan, um, the pressure was on Wigan to be honest. Um, and then obviously we fell one try short, but. Um, obviously, we didn't stop trying, to be honest. So um, yeah, it was it was um wasn't a happy hunting ground, to be honest. Wigan, Wigan at Wigan. It's um something that eluded me a f- few times. Um, I loved playing at Hull for some reason. Mm. Just love playing at Hull. So um, Hull and Cast, the jungle, <laughs> for whatever reason. I like playing at Hull and the, at the jungle, and I love playing Leeds at Leeds.
0: And kind of coming into that, obviously, it didn't end in glory them, but he still remembered to this day as, as as our best ever Super League season, our best ever finish, being so close to the grand final. How did you guys round off? Did you think we we can go again, or were you aware of kind of the kind of the, the financial troubles and potentially players were going to leave? Um,
2: no, I, to be honest, I wasn't aware of the financial troubles or anything like that. So, and to be honest, sometimes you don't want to know. Um, that's part of it part of the financial stuff that goes on behind the scenes with, with um, other personnel and things like that so i suppose when you look back you you're you're employed to play football um and it's not a job it's like it is, it is a job but it's a privilege it's not a not a job once it becomes when you start seeing it as a, a job job it's it's time to hang up the boots you know what I mean? so um but to be honest you don't really want to know because it can create doubt in people's minds and other, and people deal with doubt or pressure in so many different ways so um, you're better off not knowing to be honest.
0: And it was a difficult off-season as well, mate, because we, we not only lost as captain in Gareth Ellis to Leeds, but our top try scorer in Sid Domic to, to Hull um, must be difficult, innit? It's difficult to kind of come back to when you lose touch two massive players like that.
2: Yeah, Gaz was obviously um, he went on I think, he did he go on to play international in 2004? I think, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah.
0: That, yeah, you did, yeah. Yeah,
2: I remember ringing Gaz and saying, "Man, I wish you all the best and things like that. So I remember that, that um, conversation with him. Um, and then obviously losing Sid, yeah, when you look back now, two very pivotal players for us in 2004. So um, to to try and plug those gaps would have been tough, I suppose. Um, and, yeah, they were pretty... Dominant too. So I remember Gaz, like Gaz played six when Runes got injured in 2004, but he was just as a runner. So I was basically, I was given full range to just run all over the field and, and play what I've seen within structures and things like that. And he was just a, a runner. Um, and then Sid, he'd just come off the back fence. And when you need a tough carry, he would he would carry for you. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Going back, yeah, they're, they're pretty big, big losses when you look back at it now. And
1: in two thousand and five, we started off okay because we first back to the season, we went to Bradford and beat them twenty eight sixteen. Second match, we had Wigan at home beat them eight sixteen, and we were flying, and then got beat by London by seventy. And the wheels fell off. You know, within a few months, Shane had got the sack, and like we just said, a couple of moved on, and we we were sort of in a bit of a dogfight. How did that? What 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 changed? For us to sort of get from a playoff to relegation within months. Um I I have no idea to be yeah. honest, because
2: right, you've just told me the two first wins and then to go get beat by seventy, I have no idea. So <laughs> um yeah, the wheels must have really fell off. Um seems like a blur that now, to be honest. Um yeah. Obviously the I don't know if the ch- the playing personnel changed the-
1: dramatically, and we got major injuries. Um, yeah, just that mind boggles me to be honest. Yeah, it's like he says. Uh, the only massive change was Gareth Ellis leaving because you, you you yourself was obviously still there. Rooney was your halfback. Yeah. Corky was there. McGilbury yeah. was there. JD was there. Domic was there for a, a certain amount of the season. And um, Solomon was there. Tadalala was there. So like it was just a, a strange season, really.
2: Yeah, and I, all I can put it down to now is if there was yeah, outside um, things going on, the financial side of it. I don't know if it got to people, or um, and then players can get in comfort zones. So yeah, we've, yeah. I, I could imagine we, as a group, going back now and seeing those results. Probably we got in our comfort zone. So mm. um, and that's the challenge of players to not get in the comfort zone. And um, when you're aware of getting in the comfort zone, you need to snap out of it. Or coaches um, need to rectify And, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so.
1: And the following season didn't get much better because, like, that following season, obviously, Shane McNally went, Tony Smith came in. Tony Smith went, John Keir came in. We were struggling against relegation as well, again, for 2006. What was it like that, we call it over here, Judgment Day, that last match of the season against Castleford when 11,000 sellouts at Bellevue? But
2: that was so, a up game. Yeah, yeah. So it was stressful. I know it was stressful for the club, for a lot of fans, a lot of players, um, and obviously Cass as well, um, being in that that position as well. Um, it's, it's, yeah. So I, I knew. So I was pretty confident going in that game because was it three weeks or four weeks prior, we beat Cass um, with 12 men at the, yes. at the jungle. So yeah, to, yeah. to beat Cass at Cass at the jungle when we were backs against the wall, 18 um, nil, I think it was. Yeah. That was, for me, I mentally went into that game at Bellevue knowing, yeah, we've, we've just got to play our part today and I, I was confident we'd win. Unfortunately, I was I was signed at either club. So if I was to if I if Wakefield won, I stayed at Wakefield. If we if Cas won, I was going to wow. Cass. Wow! So I, was, ah, I didn't was, know that. I was very lucky that I had my life secured, and some players didn't. And um, that's a that's a real strange position to be in. Um, and I would not wish that upon anyone um, at all. But I was I was pretty confident going in that game after we beat Cass at Cass, um, with twelve men, 18 nil, that we had a psychological um advantage on them. So and nowhere to lie, I went back and watched that game um probably two weeks ago.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Still filthy on head though for
1: holding that bloke back. <laughs> what amazes me about that day was out of the seventeen players, there were only two Englishmen. There were there were sort of fifteen overseas. There were only David March and Jamie Rooney, I think, from who were English. Rest of you, fifteen overseas players, which is uh, massive, really.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd obviously uh, I obviously mentioning, watched the game uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, there was a huge contingent of um, overseas players who who had Australian passports, English passports, and things like that, but. All I remember was we John Key coming with six games to go. He basically treated it as a mini um, season and said, "You win four out of six, we stay up." And you know he's he's got a really good record of getting players up for big games and um, big arenas and things like that, John. So um, that's what he's good at, um, and he did a really good job in that six weeks period. Basically, just got us to focus straight on what our roles were.
1: Wonderful, mate. Good stuff. The other thing I want to ask you at this stage of career, when you first arrived at Trinity in 2004, you scored 24 tries. In 2005, you scored 20 tries. In this 2006 season, you scored five. Was, did something change? Yeah. yeah did, did Obviously, you, a lot of those 40-odd tries were from your backing up days, what you learned from Terry Lamb. Did something yeah. change up to 2006? Um, obviously, I
2: probably worked out that you know we played to our left-hand side a fair bit. Um and they obviously started doing more homework on us and then um, obviously tried to nullify it, which is obviously what's what transpired. So you know, when that happens, you've got to, you know, adjust your game mm-hmm. at times. And obviously we probably didn't adjust their game enough. Um and then I'd I'd imagine we we're leaking being in a relegation spot, we are leaking too many points, meaning doing too much defense and um which contributes to minimal attack. So um yeah, but yeah, I had a very purple patch in two thousand four, two thousand five with, with tries. Um, mm. Do you remember that?
0: And you did well, mate. I mean, it was difficult anyway in regards to who else was was uh, scoring tries that year, because you had like Savannah Colo and Danny Maguire who, who got thirty odd. But for Trinity, getting getting more than ten or fifteen is quite impressive. But to get back to back twenty plus is 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 fantastic, and it must have meant a lot to you.
2: Absolutely. So as I alluded to earlier in the podcast that I pride myself on my push support and that's something I try to encourage and enforce on the halves now who I coach now going going through the pathways and through NRW and NRL pathways. So um, yeah, you just got to learn how to I suppose um, read a game and There's certain players that can make things happen. So, Sol could make things happen. So, probably the most skillful player I've ever played with. Um, And you just knew something could happen. So, you you learn to read the game and who's going to make a break or who's a chance of making a break and things like that. So, yeah, it was a purple patch 2004 to 2005 for that.
0: Everyone we've kind of interviewed from around that time period always always kind of pencils in one block as being a true leader, nothing would budge him, and, and fantastic on and off the field, and that's Jason Dimitri. Tell us about JD as a bloke, and obviously he's prospered into a, a great setting now in, at the Bunnies.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, JD Kame, he's got a really good work ethic. So, wasn't blessed with the same amount of skill as soul, um things like that. But what he did, he had pure desire. He 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 hated getting beat. Whether it was in a game or hated an opponent getting over the top of him, so he'd do whatever it took to get be the best version of himself. So, um, and I'm not surprised how he's gone on and uh, he's become a you know astute coach now at the highest level. He very so going back to Shane, I suppose very personal. Like I, th- I think a bit of Shane's coming out on him. He's he treats individuals individuals, but he's um, he's a hard taskmaster, but um, he, he has some en- empathy with it as well.
0: Good stuff, mate. And then, kind of coming out of that generation two thousand and seven, you found yourself at Bradford Bulls. Obviously, they were they were just kind of coming out of their pomp and, and bull mania, but they were still a big club at the time. So, how did you end up at Bradford?
2: Yep. So, how that
0: come about? I was still on
2: contract at Wakefield. But, um, I feel felt that I needed a new challenge, and um, and I wasn't I wasn't a given given starter. Basically, I was I was told. If I was to come here, I'd play, I'd have to earn my spot, which is um, how you educate players now. You've got to earn your spot and you're accountable for your performance and your, every week. Um, so, yes, and Harris was there and Paul Deacon, but to play with international players like that, of that calibre, and with a chance to, I suppose, better myself and get better. So, I, I eventually went across there. Um, and some people would say, I went there for more money or things like that. I went for less. It was purely for me to become a better player, a better person in, in that front. And that was not a go at Wakefield or anything like that. It was just I wanted to make myself better and things like that. So I, I was up for a massive
0: challenge, basically. And we shouldn't laugh, mate, but do you remember your, your Bradford debut? Um, <laughs> no, I don't actually. Yeah, your, your Bradford, really Bradford debut was, was Trinity away and Trinity won.
1: <laughs> Did that?
0: Yeah, so you you put, you put, you came back the first game of the season. You played at Bellevue and Trinity won 26-24, and you came off the bench.
2: Oh. Yeah, Honor right <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that's a, obviously that's alluded me, but um, yeah. Look, obviously, obviously they beat us fair and square, and they they deserve the victory. But yeah, obviously not a happy hunting round. not no. me. <laughs> I
0: mean, I mean we had we had good backups for you. We had Danny Brough and Sam Obst in the halves, and and our, our entire back line. You got um got points of Tony Martin, Ryan Atkins, Matty Blair, did well there. So but I mean looking at your Bradford teammates, it's ridiculous. You like to say yes in it's Paul Deacon, Terry Newton, Sam a young Sam Burgess at thirteen, Glenn Morrison off yeah. the bench with you. It, it, it must have been great in that dressing room. Yeah, look, playing with those sort of calibers
2: are only gonna, I suppose, make me a better player. And I, I I did come come back to Wakefield when I eventually came back from Bradford, a better player. Better person, better player. Um sometimes Different coaches challenge in different ways, um, different systems challenge in different ways. So um it was a chance to just um progress, I suppose, my career.
0: And you had a you had a decent two years, mate. You finished fifth and ninth, and like we said, Bradford were slowly kind of coming out of that successful period. And then two thousand and nine, like you say, you were back at back at Bellevue, mate. So how did that transfer come about?
2: Um yeah, it was just um by chance and um obviously look, Wakefield has a uh, I have a soft spot for Wakefield, um, as you do for most clubs you play for. Um, but obviously, it felt felt at home. I still lived in Wakefield, so I still still um, socialised with the players there that I, that I played with and things like that. And um, yeah, it, it just fit at the time. So um, yeah, that's how that's how it pretty much worked.
0: Um, and we were, we were a little bit different at the time. Obviously, players had come and gone. JD was still there. Obviously, was there. Corky had come back. Um, yeah. And we even had a, a young Danny Kerm on there as well. Glenn Morrison had come over with you from Bradford. So, a, a, a kind of a, a, still a strong strong unit of players we had.
2: Yeah, yeah. Obviously, players come and go, but we still had a strong contingent of um, group of players that were, I suppose, there from the early 2000s, but then still were um, at that stage. Um, players like you know Glenn Morrison added to our, our, our forward pack, and then obviously, um, obviously, love playing. Obviously, like I was still talk to obviously, obviously, lives up in Cairns, which is four hours away from Townsville, so we both live up in North Queensland. Um, but yeah, um, it was a chance to come back and play with some mates, and um, obviously, try to try to um, uh, work Wakefield back up the table, I suppose.
1: Obviously, came over here on holiday, I think his wife's English. Uh, and he came yeah. back over here and we, we met him and had him on a, a live podcast. Top bloke, and he never, as I said, never met him before.
2: No, no, angry little man, obviously. But yeah. uh, nah, he
1: was he was, a,
2: he was so consistent, obviously. Um, he did, I know he, at times he'd play six, seven, nine. He did what was best for the team. And then they're the true, truly, truly uh, the players you want to play with because they, when they have a team mentality first, they're the players you really want to play with.
1: And then you went back to Bradford, mate. Was that your choice or was it sort of administrator stepping in uh, there, and financial? There, there was a bit of an administrator thing um, thing going
2: in behind the scenes. So, um, I think me uh, moving on was a bit of an ease on the financial part of it. Um, and then to go back to Bradford, obviously, I was, um, for me, I would, I would, um, some players there. Um, the coach I had there, though, he was arguably my best coach that so I had. I'll still. So that's not a detriment to any other coach I've had, but Mick Potter, he he taught me so many things in the last two of my two years of my career um, that I still try and employ now as a coach. So,
0: what type of yeah, stuff was buddy. that?
2: Oh, it was more about coaching players. Um, you know, it's on last play, last. You know how critical last plays are, and he 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 would coach us and coach the players around me, um, what their jobs were if I got hit. If I come to a brick wall, then I'd be able to pass, just simply pass to the next person. So I was very, I was blessed. I had um, Elliot Whitehead and John Bateman on both edges, like both very, very good players. Like they were, we were looking at them as veterans when they were still 18, 19 years of age, but they were genuine footballers.
1: Brilliant, man, good stuff. And like two thousand and twelve, I think we're talking now. You, you, you were at the time. You were the first Australian or overseas player to spend ten years in Super League. So that must have been a um, a big thing. But was it? Why home? After what? What was your reason for going home? Um. So firstly, the ten years thing. I was so
2: proud of that. Like, yeah. um, I was a kid, never leaving home. Seriously, like I. <laughs> I was a kid and then for some someone to leave home and then end up in England for ten years. Um yeah, super proud of that. Um, but then yeah, going home. I had another year to roll actually in mm-hmm. at Bradford. Um and it was just I don't know, my body just wasn't recovering as quick as I'd like to and things like that. And as I mentioned, when it starts to become you think it is a chore, it's I think it's time to move on and like I, I suppose you could you could take the money and go through the motions and get in stay in your comfort zone, but um, Curry Curry um, sort of reached out. I did obviously put a few feelers out to see if I could get home, and they had a link to the mines, which is obviously um, it's a really good pay. You don't have to be educated to I suppose to be in the mines and it plays really well. And um, there was a foot in the door to get back home. And and it was actually in Newcastle, which is where I first started. And my family lived two hours away from there. So it was a sort of really good fit. Um, And it wasn't a spare-of-the-moment decision. Um, I literally went on holiday when we had a week off from um, Challenge Cup. Went to Greece with my um, now 15-year-old son, Jack. Came back
1: after that and said to Danielle, "It's um, it's time, it's time to it's go." Around. Nice one. The Curry Curry Bulldogs have have a, have a link to Trinity. Have you ever heard of the fella called Dennis Booker? Den- Dennis Booker? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that name. Yeah, he's <laughs> in yeah, the, yeah. the Curry Curry Bulldogs Hall of Fame, and he's yeah. so yeah. when they selected their best ever thirteen ever. He's, yeah, he's he's the winger in that team. But he played for us, he's our very first overseas player. He signed for us in 1947 and stayed here six years. And when you look righto. at the the appearances of all the Australians, you're fifth in with 170, Dennis Booker's top with 221. So he's a big righto. hero over here. And when I researched his career, Curry Curry Bulldogs was his junior team and where he where he grew up and played.
2: Yeah, right. Um yeah, yeah. So um well, Curry Currie's a, a part of the mo- coal mining trio, so yeah. you have got Cessnock, Cessnock, Curry Curry and um, Maitland, sort of part right, yeah. of the Hunter Valley area where they, they're, they're known as the coal mining towns. Yeah, um, they're very close to each other. They're like they're like Leeds, Wakefield, Cass, Huddersfield yeah. so They're all close together. So yeah. Um, yeah, so it was it was just a perfect fit to go home, um, finish on my terms. My like my body is in good enough shape not to play anymore but like <laughs> uh, I'm so thankful that I can run I can walk I can do everything now that I could have done 10 years ago obviously not to the same intensity and things like that but I'm I have no problems with my body
1: excellent well, just, when I was researching your career after Trinity I noticed you'd had a year at Curry Curry. then you sang for the session go, go on as but that didn't seem to work out, and then you ended up with the Northern Pride, and that didn't seem to work out. What are those stories?
2: Ah, uh, so Curry Curry, yeah, I had it one year, and then um, what happened? Um, my contract was to do with con was to link with the job and um Curry Curry, but I lost my job unfortunately through just the downturn in the coal industry, and I didn't re- I didn't I didn't really sign. I was trying to, but it didn't happen. So, um, it, uh, I was blocked. So, which is in the end, that's that's business, and I have no no um, qualms about that. And then JD rang me. Uh, coming to do a job for the Northern Pride. So work in the community, and then play um, basically, then <laughs> moved to Cairns. Um, played one game, and then um. Actually, got injured, um, former bicep tendon. So, Mm -hmm. and then what happened was the funding for my role from the government ran out, so I had to find another job, which took me to Townsville. Um, which then I worked for NRL development for three years, and then rest is history now. Um, I worked for the Cowboys since uh 2019,
0: yeah, and kind of looking at your coaching CV, mate, I can't go through everything because we'd be here until tomorrow, but you, you've, yeah. you've, you've done your apprenticeship, haven't you? You've worked your graft at, you know, Townsville and Queensland Murray women and Cowboys, again, Townsville Blackhawks, women's under 18s level. You've, you've really worked your way up.
2: Yeah, look, something I really believe in, like, if you're gonna, you know, you got, when you're a young player coming through the ranks, you got to do your trade. So you got to do your apprenticeship and then, obviously coaching world you have got to do the same thing I learned I learned that from a few coaches over in England I've just seen them go when I look back you, you can see them go too far, too high too quick and it just it doesn't work so you got to learn how to build relationships how to have conversations tough conversations um and then strategically plan um, all that sort of thing that comes with coaching um but yeah very fortunate I've I've coached in origin spaces I've coached in all star spaces um and obviously coach um, nRW now for the Cowboys that's my full-time job but four years prior to that I was coaching um, anything below NRL which um, that leads into NRL so very proud of that you know about 40 percent of the players now they're in the Cowboys um, NRL system now they they've got part of my DNA on them so um it's just yeah and 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 Going back to how I got into coaching it was like Mick Potter. He said just just before I announced my retirement, he said, "Mate, have you thought about coaching?" And I said, "I'm doing my coaching certificate now, but I haven't really thought about it too much." He said, "Mate, I highly recommend you go into it." So obviously he's seen something in me to become a coach, and then um, I I truly love what I do. Like I get to I give back to the game that's pretty much given me a, everything I've got.
0: And your last couple of jobs, mate. I know you just touched on it. You were coach the Indigenous Women's All Stars, the PNG Orchids in the in the last World Cup, and obviously the North Queens and Cowboys Women. Now, are you still involved with the All Stars and the Orchids, or are you purely just at the Cowboys?
2: So, All Stars are the year by year thing. So, I've, I've like I've been fortunate enough. I've coached All Stars three times now. So, which is um, every time you coach it, you want to go back into it. But it's not a job that's forever. It's not a full time job. It's like a um, it's a very unique job in that you get appointed you go to one camp and then you, then you go into another camp and you play and then the rest is history basically um but you build a lot of relationships uh in that in that spaces like that and some, some of those players have now come to the cowboys because of that um the orchids like the orchids was probably the most challenging role i've had so you're dealing with cultural you're dealing with Females first and foremost, and then you're dealing with the cultural side of things as well, and um, that's truly made me a better coach um, in that space. And to come back to England and coach at a World Cup level doesn't matter what team or what level, like that was like a huge honor. And how they, oh look, they made history. Basically, they never won a World Cup game, and they made, obviously won two and got to a semi final, um, which is something. Um, the coaching staff. We are really proud of um and that's changed um how women are perceived in that country now too so um, unfortunately png at times women are second-class citizens and how they're treated is um yeah beyond disbelief but um how they they actually clapped onto the field now and cheered opposed to getting booed so that's pretty much how it's wow. transpired as well
0: superb mate and like you say, you find yourself in the NRLW now, which is the the fastest growing sport in in Australia in in total, mate. Big job you've got there. I know this year has been difficult. You won two games and, and missed out on the playoffs, but I did see the one game, one of the first games you won was against the Knights, who were obviously the favourites for the final. So you, you've got but, something there. Yeah,
2: yeah. Look, it is a huge challenge when when you're starting up a new club. Um, obviously, trying to my the club is pretty much. Recruit, retain, IDM, coach them. Um, so it's a it's a fairly big job, um, but I I love doing it. Um, just and you know, then you know, you're always on call. But um, but
0: to win,
2: yeah. Look, after round four, we'll two from four. Um, we'll we're, we're pretty happy with that because I think we had that arguably the hardest draw. Mm. So when I look back now, I, I predicted. I suppose the first three rounds were against three teams that would be vying for the for the title. And they were basically three of those teams were the top four. So, so but, but by round five, we started to get some injuries and we got a young group. And once the, uh, some of the senior players got injured, it's, it really played its toll on um, the playing group, I think. Um, and some of the belief went out of them. Um, and then the, the week-in, week-out grind that young players aren't used to Um, they really found out how hard it is to um, play at this level, at elite level, on a week-in, week-out basis. But they'll be much better for it next year. A lot of them are coming back next year. They had multi-year deals, and um, they'll be so much better for it.
0: And you've got a West Yorkshire girl as well, Fran Goldthorpe, who's from Leeds.
2: uh, Yep, Fran. She's one outstanding uh, person, to be honest. Massive extrovert, so she is in you, you know what to lie we're, we're very blessed with the, the facility we have it's a pretty big facility and you dead set know when friends in the building put her away
1: excellent so she's yeah.
2: she, she's been awesome grant like i cannot uh, compliment her enough she's um from our end she's agreed to uh, stay on so she'll be here for another year which is um, very exciting um to work with again um the thing is, they're at an average age of 22, this group. And, and Fran's only 20 herself. So, um, but the, be- the most thing I wanted for Fran to come across here was, one, to enjoy it, and two, be comfortable and um, be happy enough to stay again. And that's that's what's transpired.
1: Excellent, mate. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast tonight. You're a real sort of Trinity hero over here. Just, just looking at your stats before we uh, round off. Uh, We've mentioned already, when it comes to Australians and overseas players, you're fifth on the all-time appearance list with 170. You're fourth on the Australian list behind people like Dennis Booker, Jacob Miller and JD. Uh, When it comes to overseas try scorers uh, you've got 77. There's Dennis Booker, 177 Jagger who was a massive South African star 122, 22. You're third with 77. <clears throat> At the top in the first Super League era, your 77 tries. Nobody comes anywhere near you, mate, on the Trinity tries. And when it comes to points, you're third on the Trinity's all-time overseas point scorers, again behind Dennis Booker and Brad Davis. So that, mate, you're a, a big hero over here, and it's sort of a pleasure to talk to you. And it's uh, fantastic stuff.
2: No, thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to reminisce and um, yeah to catch
0: up with you guys. And
2: um, yeah, Wakefield will be truly um, one part of my life I'll never forget, and I'm very grateful for having.
0: And then just before we finish off, mate, what what's BJ away from rugby league? Obviously, you've got a family. What do you you going away soon as well? What do you enjoy enjoy doing away from the game?
2: Um, yeah. Look, I know what I'm, I'm really busy. I was I struggled to be around family, as in. Time-wise, so I've got a I've got a daughter who's just about to graduate from school, so she's just turned eighteen. So that is the time has flown. But Mackenzie was born over there, and um, that's one of the memories we'll never forget over there. Um, she, she's gonna stay in Townsville, I think, and become a nurse. So try and support her. Um, Jack, he's a mad. He used to play rugby league, but he's um, mad AFL now, Australian football. So um he's way taller than me <laughs> he's gone straight past me at 15 um and then obviously danielle she's pretty busy with work um so it's more family time than anything i need to i actually need to find a, a, another hobby um outside of football to keep me busy yeah, away from football but i'm actually i'm actually starting to be a teacher so i'm 10 years deep into my uni degree as well so um, wow. i've got a I've got to re-enter that. I have had to defer it whilst I was doing NRW, but I'll need to get back in on it. Um, something I really want to challenge myself with, but also finish.
0: Ben, your heritage number 1,201 for Wakefield Trinity. You've played 170 games, 78 tries, 358 points in two spells at Trinity. Thank you very much for coming on our podcast and making memories for, for years and years to come and, and years in the past as well. Now, I don't just want to thank everybody for listening to episode 118 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast, but a massive thank you for your continued listenership over the past two years and for the support and the love that you've shown us in this podcast. This started as a little bit of a vanity project between a father and son. It's reached kind of heights that we, we never really expected. So to have kind of 118 episodes and interviews, some massive legends really means a lot to us. So hopefully we can return to your ears in 2024, along with a successful season for Trinity. You can find us all on podcasting platforms worldwide and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for real-time updates on the podcast, even though we are going to have a break now in the off-season for Christmas and whatnot as well. Massive thank you to my co-host Lee Robinson, my dad. Massive thank you once again to the legend that is Ben Jeffries and for the last time in 2023 I've been Jamie Robinson and we will catch you all down the road.
1: Hi, it's Cammy Chris Kamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable!